Excellent. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it is lovely to see the place busy filling up and people coming back from outreaches and things like that. Um, my name is Henry, married to Brigitte. I serve as one of the elders in this congregation with Godfrey sitting there in the middle and then also Mac and Nadine. Uh, we saw them last night and they send their love. They are enjoying their sabbatical and time of rest and they just send their love um, Got some big hugs from, from Mac last night. It's always good to start off a, a weekend like that. Um, and then also Leonard that leads our eldership team. Um, they are having a tough at this time. Um, it is three weeks before their baby comes. And they are building at their house. And I think it's the third time they had to move out because the builders are continually making mistakes. And then they need to go back again. And they're nervous because they're not getting the baby room ready so once again this weekend they had to move out again so they are in wellington so just when yeah if you guys are wondering where they are at uh, please pray for them <laughs> i think there's a little bit of nervousness um during the season and just trying to get everything um done let's pray father we've been praying a lot <laughs> but we know lord that our our faith is is not a faith that depends on us lord but it's a yeah, Christianity is based on a relationship with an amazing God. And Father, I do trust even as we go into yeah, just a message, Father, uh, as we're continuing the series of Colossians, Father, uh, actually ending it this evening in Colossians 4, and we're going to move into some practical things, Lord Jesus, that we will know that we know that we know that it's only by your Spirit that we can do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it's lucky to see a lot of visitors, the Durbanville crew again here. We also have Andrew and Akona, I think, from AM with us, and uh, some people from Somerset West, and we have Dylan here. Thanks, Dylan. Thank you that you came back last week. The second week with us. He made it, guys. He's one of us now. <laughs> Smothering with flat whites and hot chocolate and stuff. <laughs> But this week we're going to continue or actually end our series in, the, in Colossians, in Colossians 4. And if you have been a Christian more than about a month, you've probably stumbled upon Paul's letters. And Paul's letters generally, if not predominantly, or mostly starts off with theology. It starts off with theory or belief. And he, and he lays a foundation of uh, God, actually, and what we believe. And then in the second half of his letters that most of us love is the practical. So how do we do this thing? And most of us, like myself, am guilty of this, that we move to the second half of the letters that, that you would find like, love is patient, love is kind. Like, yo, I just need to know how to love. But it's based on like 11 chapters of theory. And we love to get fixated on the practical, but we need to remember that it is based on theology. It's based on inward reality, and then there's outward transformation as God works within us. But some of us do get stuck in the nitty-gritties of the first couple of chapters that we, that we discussed in chapter 1 and 2, and we never go on to the practical. And it is important that true faith has the theory and the practical combined with one another. And that is why we find in James 1, verse 22, James, uh, the Apostle James writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. And then he adds that little bit that's quite scary, deceiving yourself. We also find in James 2, verse 14 and 17, 
Jy moet net recht wees. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures this evening. Um, it says, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And verse 17 says, so also faith by itself and does not have works is dead. Thus, our Christian faith needs to be based in a belief in God, yet an outward expression of that belief in God. Amen. So what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look at chapter 4 of Colossians. We're going to look at four verses. And it's actually Paul instructing now the church after he's laid a foundation of theology, of who Christ is. And then he moves on to the second half of his letter. He's writing this out of prison and he's giving instructions. And what I would love us to learn from this this evening is actually when we approach the scriptures and when we approach um, actually a Sunday like we are here this evening, we do get continual instruction, right? We get instructions from the elders, we get instructions from the apostles, we get instruction from the Bible. And actually we, now we need to say, okay, how do we live out this thing? So this evening I want us to to put on our practical hats and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to put on the safety belts, we're going to drive the car, we're going to move forward actually in our Christian faith, but all of this is rooted in a relationship with God. We need to just lay that foundation that we can't just go and say, no, I don't need that, I can just act like being a Christian. And we do great arts and performance, but it needs to be based in a heart that has a living relationship with God. So, we're going to go quick. We're going to go through um, all of these. Let me just put on my timer. Otherwise, we're going to be busy a long while. There we go. Chapter 4, verse 2 starts off with the following. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer. There's an amazing guy with the name of Leonard Ravenhill that said the following. Prayer is not an argument, um, an argument with God to persuade him to move things our way. But an exercise by which we are enabled by the Spirit to move ourselves his way. Meaning that prayer is not something that we approach God the whole time and say, what can I get from this amazing genie in the lamp? That's sometimes what we do. It's just like pull the slot machine and things come out. But actually prayer is more to do with connecting our hearts back to His ways and who He is and His sovereign will on the earth. I know um, when I was 18 years old, I approached my youth leader. I was saved a couple of months and I said, I want to preach. I, I feel called to preach. And he's like, okay, my son, you got us no preach. And he gave me a slot a couple of weeks later and I preached on prayer. And just like a good preacher, every preach needs to start with your own quote. So I sat, I think more of my thinking process went into designing my own quote than actually the rest of the, the preach. I had 35 minutes to preach. I preached it in 12 minutes. I was so nervous, and I read the whole thing like an oral. But I started off that message. That's about 10 years ago. I said, show me your prayer life, and I'll show you your relationship with God. Until today, that has echoed in my relationship as I've been, I've been walking with the Lord, because I knew the times when I was close to the Lord, my prayer life was flourishing. But I knew where there was a distancing between myself and God or something has happened, I see my prayer life start to dwindle. And the Paul, Paul starts off his, um, in a sense, instruction to the church by, by going into 
a connection between our heart to God. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And it adds, he adds this word steadfastly that means actually dutifully or unwavering. Who of us can say our prayer life is unwavering before the Lord? That no matter how we feel, there's a duty that I need to become before my God and continually give myself in prayer. And I think this is one of the things we've preached the most as I've been in this congregation for two years. Probably four or five times we've preached on prayer because there's something in it that it connects our hearts back to God. Amen. But a steadfast prayer life actually communicates a, a couple of things. It communicates that you are in a living relationship with a God. It communicates that there's something beyond what we are busy seeing here, and there's a God outside there. It communicates trust and dependency. A prayerless life is an independent life, that you depend only on yourself and not on something more than yourself. But prayer shows that you have faith in God and trust in God and dependency in the Lord. Thus, people praying is actually a people trusting God. Because they know the strength does not lie in themselves, but lies in God. A steadfast prayer life communicates actually power. James 5 verse 16. That's my third scripture out of James. <laughs> and we're preaching out of Colossians. Um, James 5 verse 16 says the following. A prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Once again, a person of prayer, a daughter and a son in the house of prayer, makes much power available. And I remember when I started off my Christian walk, I, I still lived with my, with my dad in Paul, and I would wake up the mornings and I would go and make myself a cup of coffee. No, two cups of coffee every morning. Um, and what I did is I took, one was like this massive, it looked like a soup bowl because I loved coffee. And the other one was like a medium-sized coffee. And I would go into my room. I would sit on the carpet, um, with my Bible open in front of me, my massive mug-sized coffee next to me, I would put the other coffee on the other side, and I would have every morning coffee with Jesus. And he's always generous giving me both cups. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we can't outgive God. <laughs> but I remember as I was preparing that cup of coffee, as I was putting the mug in front of me, and I was praying, I was inviting the Lord into my day. There was something of a knowing that I knew that this day is not only me taking on this day, there was something of a dependency in my heart and saying, it's you and me, God. We're taking on this day. We're going for it. And I want to ask for us as a congregation, as Paul is writing, continue steadfastly in prayer, is there another cup in your room? Is there another cup of coffee across from you as you're approaching your Christian walk? But it goes on. Um, now I want to cry. I don't know why. <laughs> I haven't cried in a while in my preaching. But it's so important, guys. I think sometimes we, we go through the duty of Christianity eh? and forget the person. We come to a Wednesday, a Sunday, do the Christian smile, do the right things, uh, we belong to Josh Jane, one of the most healthy churches in the world. Yet, we are not connected with God. It goes on, continue steadfastly in prayer. And it says, being watchful in it, in prayer, with thanksgiving. Philippians 4 verse 6 says the following. 
Do not be anxious, hallelujah, about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The way we should pray is a prayer of thanksgiving before the Lord. I find myself weekly, actually, at a place when I hit a low or I'm quite anxious about something, and our whole generation, because of social media and because of busyness and things like that, we end up quite anxious and in a, in a rut sometimes. And there's something that my wife is trying to teach me, but I don't want to learn the lesson, that when I feel down, she comes to sit with me and she says, Henry... Kom ons sê gauw vijf dingiekies waarvoor ons dankbaar is. Let's mention five things that we are thankful for. And I'm like, I don't want to be thankful now. There is nothing in me that wants to be thankful. But I know that she is busy giving me a little bit of medicine. It's not Brigitte's medicine, but it's medicine from the Bible. Psalm 50 explains my feelings. Psalm 50, 14 2.15 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me, call upon, call upon God in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. It speaks about thanksgiving as a sacrifice, meaning that you will not always feel like praying with thanksgiving. But God knew that that is the very medicine and antidote for a heavy heart is praise. I, somewhere here, Isaiah 61.3 says that the Lord has given us a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. That when there's a heaviness, God says praise. And I wrote down a couple of things here, but thanksgiving and praise brings perspective. It brings perspective. It brings perspective in it is not me focused, but it is God focused. Because you need to be thankful for God. So it moves your eyes from you to Him. It brings perspective in, it's not what you feel or experience or your circumstances, but who God is. It moves your eyes away from the immediate to God. It moves you from the temporal to the eternal. That if we look to God, everything of this earth looks very short and very dim in comparison to eternity. If we truly understand eternity and understand the goodness of God, thanksgiving will be a great antidote. For a heavy heart. Verse 3. It says also, Paul speaks about a prayer for um, a praying and a praying uh, with thanksgiving. But then it goes, he goes on to say, at the same time, verse 3, pray also for us. And I love this. Really, I do love this. Because Paul is moving away from just looking at yourself to say, pray also for us, the apostles, the leaders. To actually, that there is so much more than just yourself, but pray for your leaders as well. And I remember I, I lived in Wellington for um, nine years, and I was a part of the church for eight of those nine years. Um, and in Wellington, I, I, when I served the Lord about three or four years, I studied theology, I was an upcoming leader in the church, I was passionate for God. And one day, I, um, I sat down with my elder. And I told him, I've no one to speak to. Like, 
And he, he's thinking in his head, but you have a community of people around you. But in my head, I, in a very arrogant yet gentle way, I told him, but I can't receive from this man. I have more knowledge than him. I'm a better leader than him. I didn't say it like that, but in my heart, that was exactly what I meant. He was, he was a deacon. All my previous com leaders, I had four comms before that. All of them was led by elders. And I'm like, I can't receive from this man. And just like a wise elder gently could rebuke me, he said, give him a shot. Just give him a shot. I'm like, okay, I'll give him a shot. And I sat down with him. Um, the guy's name was Jonathan, and his wife's name was Tembi. And I sat down with Jonathan, uh, a German guy, and his wife was um, Kosa. And I gave him a shot. And all of a sudden, there was something of the grace of God that came through that man. And that was my, till today, if I, would, if I would refer, I oversee communities now, I would say to our communities, the advice I would give them, everything my reference point would be that guy. He was the best com leader that I had. I've, I was in, most of my communities I was in was all led by elders. That guy knew something of how to lead a community and I, and I postured myself under authority. And Paul is saying, yeah, at the same time, know that you are also under authority. Romans 13.1 says, let every person be subjected to the governing authorities, meaning the ANC in our case. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. There is something that I need to know that everybody carrying some sort of governance is from God. And do we posture ourselves in an honoring way before or underneath leaders? And I know I'm an elder in this household and I'm preaching in a sense from a place of authority, but I'm actually also preaching from a place of under-authority. That we don't, we don't preach from a place of authority, but preaching from a place of I'm under-authority, I'm under the under-elders. If I say something stupid here, he will be running. He's like, whoa, 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 Henry, come sit close and. And we will do that. We will do that. I've seen it happen in churches, in, in Josh Jane, that the other elders, I'm submitted under, um, under Godfrey at this stage, and he's listening carefully, and, he's, and as I'm preaching, I'm still under authority. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says the following, The king, or the leader's heart, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. That is amazing. When I think about streams of water, I think about refreshment. I think about um, nourishment and life. And it says that a leader's heart or a king's heart in that days is in the hands of God. And that is why we need to pray to God to change the heart of our leaders. Sometimes we become cold and we turn away from our leaders and say, whoa, 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 what is this? But actually we should turn to pray and pray to them and say, God, would you come and turn the rivers? Because I know when, my, when, my, when a leader is flourishing, everybody underneath him is flourishing. Because there's just rivers flowing out of him. But if a leader is not doing well, you will, see, you will see the sheep also not doing well. Because there's a sense of a drought busy happening. So let us continue to pray for the leaders in our midst. Amen. But then it goes on to say, who we actually, um, what we should actually pray for. Paul is writing, um, 
At the same time, pray also for us, for the leaders, that God may open to us a door for the word, declaring the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And I love this because Paul is saying, you are the church of Colossians, the, the Colossian church, but you are part of something so much bigger. Pray for us as apostles, as those that are going about in the different churches, that doors may open up for us and the, and the, and the word of God may extend for, and go far beyond just this local church. And I want to ask a, a word. Who of you gave that word? Somebody, um, a word for Stellenbosch PM. It must have been a Durbanville person. I was standing there. I couldn't see you. But do you know that she gave a word that the Lord is busy speaking to Stellenbosch PM something. But did you know that your Christianity stretches far more and you belong to something far more wider than a service from a 4 to 6 p.m.? That actually you are a part of Stellenbosch 4 p.m. service today. But there's also a 6 p.m. of another 240 that will be coming soon. <laughs> next week actually next weekend but not only that that in Stellenbosch we are not this only holy huddle in the united building we have also another joshua generation church in Stellenbosch did you guys know that a morning congregation that you guys are a part of pumping church but there's about 170 to 200 adults young working families in that congregation a lot of kiddies running around. It's quite crazy there. Get quite intimidated when I go there, but it's, it's nice. But they are also a part of us. They are us. It's not a them and a we and a this. It's us. But then also, Nico shared that Joshua Generation is not only one congregation or not only one town, Stellenbosch, but we're actually 47 congregation over South Africa. And we are not, and I wasn't a, a denomination before this church, and that we associate that we have the same name. We are not like that. We partner with one another. I know somebody in every Josh Jane. Every Josh Jane. When I go there, I'm an elder in that Josh Jane just as much as I'm in this one. If a deacon goes there, he's just as much a deacon there as he is in this congregation. We are one. Do you feel like a son in the house in this house, but also in every other Josh Jane? But did you know that the Bible speaks about that God, in a sense, gives out, and the biblical language in, in Corinthians speaks about a field. And a field speaks about an area of influence that's given to an apostle with churches within that. And, that what, and what we call that is 412. We're like, what, who's that 412? Is that like an outflow of Josh Jane? No, no, no. We are one church. Josh Jane is one church of 300 plus in 412 that we are part of it is not only that we live for a healthy church here but it's a healthy church that disciples the nations of this world we are part of something so much bigger than just ourselves and paul is writing to them and saying guys do you know that you're part of something bigger it is not enough that you are belonging in a community it is great it's a good start it starts with a community. If you visit a year, our communities is our cell groups, our community groups, we call it, that meet on Wednesday evening. That is great. But do you be belong to the church? 
And from there to this congregation, do you belong to the whole of Josh 10? In the whole of Josh 10, do you belong to 412? And those that went on outreaches, Cornei um, and them to the Netherlands, to the church on that side, they saw it. They saw it. They come back and, you're that church and this, 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 because they belong to something so much bigger than just a four to six o'clock every week. But do you also pray? Because Paul is saying, pray that open doors may happen. And as we are speaking this week, we are uh, kicking off um, officially a community group in Porschefstroom um, from this congregation. Hopefully we can get some momentum going there and to plant a church there, that the preaching of the word may go forth there. Also this week, the 19th, we're planting a community in Malmesbury. My parents are actually joining there. Praise the Lord. Um, that a church plant most likely would start to happen there. Uh, we also, we are, we are moving to Rhenish in two weeks' time. Are you praying for that, for the logistics busy happening? It's a massive move for us as a congregation. And for those of you that are moving there, have you prayed about where you can start to add or contribute in that? We are, we've been looking or hinting at this, but the Lord has not opened the door yet of an Afrikaans service in Stellenbosch, just to bridge that gap from traditional a little bit closer. Um, amen. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking about um, this last couple of weeks. I'm thinking quite a lot around uh, Kayamandi. Um, we, have, we don't have a church there. Why not? I'm thinking about Klutusville. I live in Boer Klutusville. Okay, well gefunden. Um, Idas Valley. Idas Valley doesn't have a congregation yet. Kalmoor doesn't have a congregation yet. Why? To see the kingdom of God come to all nations. Let's start here. And are you praying for that? Are you extending yourself? Or is there a sense like, okay, what is Henry going to preach about this morning or this evening? Amen. But then it goes on to say, and I'm running quickly through this because it is a lot. In the middle of that verse 3, Paul writes and he says, On account of which I am in prison. Paul is writing from a prison. He was persecuted while this was busy, uh, while he was writing this. And we know for the, for the gospel that they were preaching that they didn't submit under Caesar. They only submitted under Jesus. They were beaten. They were stoned. They were um, whipped. They were put in jail. They were persecuted and killed for Jesus. But do you know in South Africa we don't have that? Hallelujah. We don't have that yet. I do think there will come a time. There will come a time where it will become harder and harder. It's already um, a sensitive topic to speak about certain things because you can be thrown in jail for hate speech if you touch on certain things. Hint, hint, notch, notch. So our persecution looks so much different in South Africa, but it's still a reality. Modern-day persecution, I wrote here, will become more and more real, but it will look like cancel culture. If you say something that is not going with the flow of today's liberal, liberalism, you will be cancelled. Let's just block you. Let's just uninvite you. Let's just not pull you any closer. And that's what's happening with algorithms all over the show. We just don't push you to the top. We just cancel culture you. Mockery will become a thing all the more that you will be mocked for your faith. That you will be... Um, called an uneducated fool. The amount of times that I've been said, Henry, you're so uneducated. I'm like, no, you're not. 
I don't know what you're talking about. That don't you know Christianity was disproved a couple of years ago? Oh, I don't know about that. Jesus spoke to me this morning, so I don't know what you're <laughs> on about. It's such a thing that they try to belittle and like, oh, shame. You need it because it's for your mental health, right? And that is the type of things that get taught today, and we get sucked into the worldly way of thinking. But as I was thinking about this, and it's not directly what he is saying, but it's just something that I was, um, in my preparation, I thought about imprisonment. And did you know that we can imprison people in the church? And what I wrote here is, we can imprison people in the church by expectations and unforgiveness. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, it speaks about love. And it says, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always preserves. Another translation says, love believes the best. But in our expectations sometimes of leaders, in our expectations of community leaders, of elders, of deacons, in our expectations of our brothers and sisters and towards others, we sometimes drown people in that expectations. That we expect actually not, not anything less than Jesus from you, right? You must be perfect. And sometimes we put such a weight on people that Jesus is not even putting on them. But if the Bible says that love believes the best, do we go into a conversation with criticism and say, you should have thought about that? How must they have thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> you tell somebody, you should have thought about that. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think about it. Really, I didn't. Sorry. But we put such a weight on certain people that this church doesn't love because they haven't. But do you believe that the leaders in this household love God? But not only love God, they love His bride. That everything in their lives is geared around seeing the kingdom of God established on the earth. Love believes the best. Let's not put unnecessary weights and I'm now I'm speaking about leaders, but we can do it in our communities. Oh, that guy didn't show up again. Love believes the best. Message them then. Maybe something is wrong. Maybe they're really sick. Maybe they're in need. Love believes the best. But also an unforgiveness. When somebody hurts you, and you will get hurt in the church. Hallelujah. Get at that too. I'm serious. And now somebody's offended and hurt about that also. <laughs> unforgiveness. There's a guy named Lewis B. Smeeds that said the following, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that, pr that that prisoner was you. Unforgiveness is not drinking poison and hoping the other person will die, but it's only in you that you are busy dying. Because when that person walks in the church, you're like, huh, he's here again. And you go walk down the other aisle. They go sit in that side of the church, I sit in this side of the church. I want to join another community because I feel more welcomed there or not challenged. I just want to be a place where I can receive a little bit for this season. That's actually running away from unforgiveness maybe in your heart. And we should check this um, because we imprison ourselves and imprison others from a blessing from what you can receive from them and they can receive from you. Amen. You guys still good? Oh, yes, I'm doing well actually with time. Almost done. Verse 5, it says the following. 
Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The Bible says, I think it's in Galatians, it says that God uses the foolish things of this world, aka us, to shame the wise. But we are still very foolish sometimes in our going about of doing life, and we should remember that. But we are very much foolish in our ways sometimes when we approach people that do not know Jesus yet. And I know some of you are sitting here and you might not be familiar with us or even familiar with the church. So I'm speaking to those that not only called us home but called themselves a believer of God. But Paul writes and he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. But some ways how we walk towards outsiders is in a foolish way. And two things I wrote here is we walk in a foolish way towards outsiders by sometimes having very strong opinions. So you will have a group of people that do not know Jesus and they will go into a conversation and one person would mention, I don't know, Harry Potter. And you're like, oh, that thing's from the devil, you know? You, you don't read that. Like literally as you are speaking that words, Demons are going in you. And they are like, yes, kumbaya, I thought you were a church of love. And da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, we just put this law on them, but we can't expect that from them. It's like they are a species, a species on their own, and we expect that species to do certain things. And we are a species of our own, and we expect our kind, to do certain things. I do not expect a person that doesn't know Jesus to love. They sometimes do, but it's not in their natural inclination because, I don't know, their hearts. They might love, but I expect a Christian to love. So let us not be foolish in strong opinions and this and this and this. But also another thing is Christianese. guys know that. The language that can only be understood in these four walls. That after a conversation, you use so much Christianese that that person is like, I don't understand why you guys are speaking about lambs the whole time. I know we love brying, but why about lambs? And then we go on and you continue speaking about blood. It's like normal people don't speak about blood that much, but the Christians always, they sing about blood, they speak about blood, they tattoo blood, and their blood comes. It's just blood everywhere. It's quite a sadistic ritual thing that's going on in that corner. But we use these certain things, and the normal person outside there is like, what is these people saying? Use normal language, guys. It is okay to use your words. Matthew 5.14 says the following. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Didn't say Jesus is the light of the world. It's Christ in us that's the hope of this world. You are the light of this world. And it says, making the best use of your time, Paul writes. So how do you make the best use of your time when you are with people that do not know Jesus? I wrote down a couple of questions just to challenge us a little bit out of our seats. Do you know how to engage with outsiders? And I'm using the language of Paul here, but meaning people that do not know Jesus. Do you engage and make the best use of your time when you are with them? Or do people know you are saved or do you just blend in? Because the Bible says that is lukewarmness. You are the same temperature as the world. 
That's lukewarmness. You look just like them. There's nothing that sets you apart. I know um, there's actually a leader sitting in this room that Leonard sat with when he just joined um, this congregation. And he is very, 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 very um, a man of character. And Leonard said, if, if, if Jesus gets taken away out of your life, what would be different? Would there be something different? And I think I want to pop that question to all of us. If Jesus get pulled out of your life today, will it be continuing, you'll still go to church, you'll still do this, still do that? Or is there a reality of God not living in you but through you as you're going about in your life? Last question, when last have you had an unbeliever in your house? When last have you had a meal with somebody? Jesus continually ate with sinners. You got actually persecuted because of that. He's like, yeah, this is a drunkard. He's always at the pubs. No, no, no. No, no, no. He was loving sinners. Last one. Verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We grow up in the opinion generation. I posted an article, I think, in last week that after COVID, the next one that arised was the virus of opinions. That COVID escalated the online world even more to a place that everybody thinks that their opinion is important. It counts. I know each one of us have a voice, and it is important that we are heard, but sometimes we lean very strongly on our opinions. Uh, I usually say opinions are like armpits. There's always two of them, and they both stink. That's opinions. <laughs> Let's not hold on to our opinions that strong and say this or nothing else. God wants us to be gracious in our speech, seasoned with salt. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says the following, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If we speak towards people, is it harsh or is there a sense of a gentleness in your way that you approach things? Even people that has an opposite view than you. Andrew posted, I think, two weeks ago, Christianity is not only loving your brother, but loving Judas. But sometimes loving our brothers even harder. It's sometimes easy for us to love the person down the road. But your very brother and sister next to you, we're like, nah, nah. I, I expect more of, of them. James 1 verse 19 says the following. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let each person be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is something that the Lord has been so much journeying with me because I love to speak and throw in a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But let us be twice as much vigilant to hear and listen than speaking. And I'm, I'm saying um, not only hearing but listening Many people hear, hear other people's words, but they don't listen. We only listen to wait for a gap that we can speak. No, 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 no. Let's listen because then only we can understand what they are saying, where they are coming from, 
What is their background? What is the circumstances? Why are they saying what they are saying? And then we can give an appropriate answer or that is seasoned with salt. And I love that they added that bit there, seasoned with salt. I love pasta. Love pasta. And I can't eat my pasta if I didn't put in a lot of salt. And it feels like salt, when it gets thrown into food, it just pulls everything in that plate together, right? Let our words pull rooms together because it's seasoned with salt. It pulls people together. It just pulls lives together. It pulls believers together. It pulls unbelievers together because we are gracious, seasoned with salt, lovers of God. Amen. I'm going to pray for us and let us be doers of this word. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in what God has asked us to do. Amen. So, Father, I do want to thank you that we have the privilege to actually be doers of your word. Lord, many, in a sense, um, cultures outside there um, learn a lot of things. Lord, we are in university where there's a lot of information being extended from one person to another. Lord, I trust that the knowledge that we learn will put it into practice, that we will not be only those that are sponges, becoming groot christenen, big Christians, <laughs> full of knowledge. Lord, but I trust that we'll be fit Christians. We'll be actually doing something with that very energy that we receive from the nutrients of your word, Lord. Father, I trust that we will be praying people, that we will be a thank thankful people. Father, I trust that we will be a submitted people under our leaders. Father, I trust that we will know the bigger picture and pray for the extension of your kingdom. Father, I trust that we will hold our opinions lightly, Lord. And Father, I trust that we will live in wisdom towards outsiders. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Andre. Um, you know, I just thought to share something on the back of that. Um, I was thinking recently, I read a word, um, and it's adorn. And I was like, I've never, ever heard that. But it's, I think it's in Titus, where it speaks about um, that we should adorn the gospel, make meaning, um, make it look attractive. I'm like, how can I do that? How does one do that out of their own strength? And I, I don't think it's possible. But um, even you know, just listening to Henry, I think there's so many things that we can process or think about and say, I can fix this or I can fix that. But if we actually securely in Jesus, he allows us to, to make the gospel look attractive, not with fluff, but um, you know, with love and, and with um, genuineness, which I think the Lord um, or the world really needs that. Um, so, yeah, I just thought to share that. Um, but otherwise, for the visitors amongst us, it was super, super, super cool having you guys here. Um, I think Hannah and Dom are around. If you can just put your hands up, quick sticks. Dom's up there. Um, yeah, so if you have your visitors' cards, your brochures, you guys can hand it to them at the tent. Is that going to be outside? Okay, lacquer. The gazebo outside. Um, would love for you guys to have some tea and coffee with us. And yeah, if there's any other missions, shout. I know some people go for ice cream in this weather. I don't understand, but I'm keen. Um, but yeah, it was lovely having you guys and trust that you have a lack of week. Awesome.